morning, everybody. The title of this message is Immortality Unveiled. So let's pray. Father, we thank you that it's you that have unveiled immortality. We thank you for all the times in your word that you have unveiled immortality for our hearts to be able to be wooed to you and the life that we have in you. We thank you most of all for, for the most fabulous display of immortality. And that was the body of Jesus Christ that was raised after being dead for three days. We thank you that you put such a glorious display of your life and immortality for us to see so that that's the life that we would desire and let you give it to us as a free gift. Thank you, Lord, for continuing to open up our hearts and our ears so we can continue to get a deeper revelation of your resurrection and the immortality that you have for us. Amen. Amen. So, I have a disclaimer to start out with. <laughs> Did you see my notes already? <laughs> Viewer discretion is advised. Some of the content of this message will be offensive to the carnal mind. It will have the power to pull down strongholds and imaginations that try to exalt themselves against the knowledge of God and can bring those that hear it to a place of rest and contentment. Most of us have grown up as children hearing a fairy tale or two. You know how it starts once upon a time. That's the way fairy tales begin. But what is a fairy tale? It's a story in which improbable events lead to a very happy ending. It's marked by unseemingly unreal beauty, perfection, luck, and happiness. The story always involves a struggle between an evil force trying to overcome an innocent character. And it always ends with, they live happily ever after. And there's a sense at the end of that that they do live forever. But they didn't. It's just the way they ended it. The life that God has for us and the story that God has for us is so much better than a fairy tale. So we're going to look at that really quickly. It starts out with once upon a time. Uh, once upon a time, there was no time. The Godhead, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit always existed. There was no beginning. Their life always was. They have always known all things. And their character was so filled with love that it branched out into joy and peace and kindness and couldn't contain it in themselves. They had to spread it. Their heart overflowed with abundance of who they were. And their desire to share their life with others brought forth their desire for a family. Family was really not man's idea. It came from God and it issued forth out of his love and passion and from who he was. So he created this perfect world for his family to live in. 
as their creator, he knew the life that he was creating them for. He knew the life that they needed. He knew the life that they desired. He knew how to share all the aspects of his life and who he was so that they could share in the same life. He was filled with love and adoration for them because they had always existed in his heart. So the dark void was made light and became teeming with life. He offered man everything they needed for life and godliness. He brought man into a beautiful relationship with him that included equality with him. A heart that had the ability to communicate and experience his love and being. He gave man a free will so he could live out of his heart in freedom. God offered his children a relationship where he would serve them with his life, not have them serve him. There was no laboring and no toiling, no worries and no cares. Sounds like a fairy tale, almost magical, a place where evil can be overcome and conquered. Better than a fairy tale because it lasts forever. A life in existence of immortality where we live forever. I'm always amazed when man takes an experience they have with God and they make a doctrine out of it. As if something new is under the sun that God hadn't already done. I'm even more amazed when I find out that I did it many times. In fact, we all do it at one time or another. We just don't realize it. The carnal mind has a way of wandering. Where does it always wander? In the carnal realm. It wanders back to self. It has a need to exalt itself in its own strength. Why is that? I think because the heart knows the life that it's been created to experience. It knows it's supposed to be exalted. But because it can't fully trust in God, it falls back to trying to trust in itself for life. So I'm going to share one of these times in my life where God told me something and I took it. A beautiful thing, an amazing thing that God was showing me. But I went off on what they call these rabbit trails. <laughs> that part didn't come from God. So several years ago, God started telling me that I would never die. Wow, what an awesome thing to be hearing from God. I would live forever. I heard that off and on quite a bit, and it always made me just smile. I didn't realize, though, that as I continued to hear these sweet whisperings from God, I was forming my own little doctrine. How does a person go from hearing God and then form their own doctrine that isn't from God. It can happen easily if we take God's words or the things we experience in this life and we don't ask him questions about, hey, isn't it easy to say, what do you mean by that? <laughs> That's not a hard thing to ask. So this is what I did with what God showed me. God told me I would live forever. 
That means we're in the last days. Jesus is coming back in the next 20 years. <laughs> He's coming back in my lifetime. There isn't much time for people to choose Jesus. I am never going to experience corruption in my own body. Now that seemed like a really awesome thing for a few years. I thought I was resting in God's immortality, but I had let those words get twisted in my heart to say something that I wanted them to say. Because of the things that I had experienced as a child, I had lies lodged in my heart that told me where death was, God was not. And I didn't even know how deeply those um, beliefs were in my heart, but God knew how to begin dealing with that, that um, I had always believed from the time I was a child. And so God began telling me these things. So God was talking to me about the resurrection of my mortal body out of the grave. He wasn't telling me that I was going to live in my mortal body until he returned. So I took this amazing revelation of the resurrection and what Jesus had experienced, and I brought it down. I disesteemed it, and I brought it down to a carnal thinking, which was mortality, to make it fit and ease the pain in my heart that was caused by a lie. And God was there bringing this to the surface in me so I would begin to realize, you know, I read that scripture hundreds of times that says, where can you go from God? It doesn't matter where you are, you cannot be without him. Yet he knew that in my heart I had that place that believed that if death came, that meant he was absent. And so God took this and he did an amazing thing with it in my heart. Did I ask him to tell me more when I heard that? No. Did I ask him to give me a deeper revelation? No. Do you know why? Because I liked what I heard. I liked the doctrine that I made out of it because it seemingly eased a pain in my heart. But you know, did it really ease the pain in my heart? No. But one thing, it wasn't what God was saying. It wasn't the truth. And God says he goes to the root. He takes the ax and he goes to the root of where that lie originally came from. And he cuts it away so that we can be set free. When we fight against God's doctrine, and we're living in the carnal realm. It's a picture of a stiff-necked person or a picture of a person that's dull of hearing. That's nothing to be ashamed of. It's nothing to run from and hide from. God didn't tell us those things because he was upset with us or ashamed of us. He told us so we just realized how much we really need him. It's okay to be weak. It's okay when we hear something to say, what do you mean by that, God? What is? What are you trying to tell me? He knows how much we desire life. He understands how we try to solve the death problem for ourselves instead of letting him be the solution.
And it's only him that can bring us out of the carnal realm of thinking and into the mind of Christ. So Greg has mentioned many times God's invitation to him. Greg, have you considered the resurrection? God was inviting me to consider the resurrection. He was inviting me to consider my resurrection because I am hid in him. What an amazing, beautiful thing he was doing in my heart. He was unveiling immortality to me, and I made something carnal out of it. <laughs> I was esteeming the world and staying in the world over God's gift of the resurrection. It kind of reminds me of a scene in the movie Groundhog Day when Bill Murray runs down the sidewalk every day and catches that little boy that falls out of the tree. That little boy never once says thank you. He just jumps out of his arms and runs. No gratitude for the gift of life. It's an amazing, wonderful thing that God has done for us. He has solved the death problem for me and for you also. There's nothing left for us to solve. But we humans love to find life in our own strength. But as we read some of the things that Solomon said, he told us that all of our chasing after life in the carnal realm is vanity. So as Greg continued to preach about eternal life, that word kept coming against the lie that I believed in my heart that I was going to live forever in the mortal realm. So I resisted it. <laughs> Sorry, Greg. <laughs> but the word of God doesn't stop just because you resist. <laughs> it just goes a little deeper, you know, goes after it more and more. <clears throat> so I resisted what I was hearing. Do you know what that means? The prefix re, R-E, means over and over again. So I was resisting over and over again. Just like that little boy in the movie Groundhog Day resisted esteeming what Bill Murray had done to save his life. If immortality can be unveiled, that means it can also be veiled by man. I was veiling God's immortality and the power of it in my heart and lifting up the mortal man above the immortal. But I didn't realize that that's what I was doing. <clears throat> this is actually a wrestling that we see between God and man. God gives us everything that we need for life and godliness. And man tends to disesteem it, saying, no, let me do this for myself. God offers man immortality as a free gift. And man says, no, I will take a double serving of mortality, thank you, and I will get it for myself. Like I said, there's no shame in that when we find ourselves in that place. It just means that we have weakness. And God promises that in our weakness, his strength will be there. So we see in the Bible, everywhere in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, immortality being unveiled. But we also see 
immortality being veiled. Even in the garden, the serpent went to Eve and discredited God's life, his immortality. He told her that God was holding out on her, but she could get the life that she wanted in her own strength. There it is, God's life being disesteemed so that a different kind of life could come and have precedent. Eve wanted to get life from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Cain wanted to serve God in his own strength. Nimrod wanted to enter heaven by way of a tower that he built. Saul wanted David to defeat Goliath with his armor. And it goes on and on. So man has been veiling God's immortality throughout the ages. <clears throat> but God has been unveiling his immortality to us. So the last year or so, my eyes have just gradually been opened more and more to see this life that I've been living in a totally different way. I don't see my life through the lens of the American dream anymore. And that's the mindset that I was raised in, even though I wouldn't say I was aware of it. It was just happens that I was born here and my family lived in the American dream. And so <clears throat> I was raised in it. And it had been presented to me that this was the way of life and it was a good way of life. And in fact, it gave you the best that you could long for. So I felt like I was blessed to be born in America, the land of the free. I had it good. All the creature comforts, AC, indoor plumbing, cars, and hey, even sometimes some new furniture. Life was good. My heart would cry when I saw pictures of small children living in a hut in another country <clears throat> with a dirt floor. And again, I would be so grateful for the life that I had here. But lately, God has been opening up my eyes to see this world and the life that we're living in in a totally new way. It's through his lens. It's through what he sees. This world is no longer the source of life that I long for. In fact, I realized that it never had the ability to give me what I really wanted. And it can't give you the life that you really desire either. Because what I have always really longed for and the life that you really long for is a life that can never die. A life where you have peace and joy and love forever. What you really desire is immortality. I didn't want to get well for just a short time. I didn't want to have peace and joy for just a short time. The things I longed for, I wanted to have forever. And I didn't want them to be able to be taken away from me. How do I know that? Because the minute something went wrong, and it always will, I'm not happy about it. I get out of sorts. I want everything to go right all the time. Isn't it nice when things go right? Yeah, it's really nice. It's such a temptation to think that that is our source of life is when everything goes right. But you know, if we talk to Jesus, he wouldn't agree. 
if we talk to the disciples, they wouldn't agree. The source of life and the love and the peace and the joy that we're longing for can't be given by this world. And I'm sure we all, especially over the last year, can agree with that. <laughs> but I'm going to touch on a few of those things this morning. We just had a, a big dose of that in our area. The plug got pulled on the things that we just take for granted for life. Things like electricity, being able to drive to a gas station and put gas in your car, <laughs> food in the grocery stores, computers working, and our treasured cell phones. Those things that seem so stable and strong just got whisked away with the big wind. One week we had them, and the next week they're gone. <laughs> I don't know if you get it, but that means that things of this world, even the ones that seem so strong and foundational, they are really fragile, temporary at best and they cannot be a source of life for us. Was it God that pointed us to this world as a source of life? No way. But for many of us, there was a form of Christianity that was taught to us that made it look that way. The prosperity message that squeezed out of misinterpreted scriptures and pulled out of the whole context of the Bible and those things were dangled in front of our eyes. If only you do this, then you can have this. This meaning everything you want. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, let's think about it. You can find all the money you need in a fish. If you can name it, you can claim it. You can speak to those wrinkles to depart from you. I could go on and on and on, but you get my point. It's easy for us humans to take spiritual doctrine and principles and apply them carnally without God. When we have God and we go to him continually as we struggle with these things, he'll show us the truth. It looks good to the carnal mind, just like the fruit on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil looked good to Eve. It only looked good. It was really death, corruption, and a life of toiling and pain. It's like if you're thinking that you're getting a great big bowl of perfectly boiled crawfish, and your eyes are open and you see that is what you're getting ready to eat. A bowl of maggots. Can you imagine the shock that you would have thinking that you're getting the very thing that your heart wanted and your mouth is watering for these crawfish and right as you're getting ready to dig in and put that big spoon in your mouth, you see what it really is. 
That's what God is doing for us. That's why he unveils immortality, to show us that he's already given us everything that we want. He's already given us everything that we need, and we're just being tricked. We don't really want maggots. We're being tricked. The spirit of the scriptures unveil God's heart and life to us as a free gift. And we veiled that immortality in the, with the carnal mind and made it about the temporary things that we could get in this world. The Bible gives us a clear vision of the life that God brought to us as a free gift. And it wasn't the American dream or anything temporary. The whole book of Ecclesiastes is about a man attempting to attain a good life from this world. And in all of his striving and going after, he said that it was worthless. He found out it was like a bowl of maggots. From Genesis to Revelation, we see God showing us the only true source of life is from him as a free gift. Nothing in this world, not its riches, its beauty or accomplishments can fill our hearts with the life that we truly desire. Sometimes it's easy to get distracted by the glitter that we see in this world. But as my eyes have been opened, I'm seeing the world in a different light more and more. I'm seeing how much death there is. I'm seeing the corruption and the mortality of it all. And now when something else gets thrown at me, I'm not surprised. I used to, a year ago, I was really surprised. Like, wait a minute, what's going on? Now I say, it's the fallen world. That's all it has to give. And so I'm not surprised. I just go, mm, that's what God told us. He told us that this was the life that the world could offer us. I'm seeing that this world is very fragile and it doesn't have anything lasting to give to me. I have watched cultures, governments, and standards fall. They look so mighty and strong for so long, for several decades, and then poof, they were gone. I've watched people, many Christians that truly love God, prophesy victory in the carnal realm. Mm, so sad. Claim the victory in the carnal realm. Declare it will turn around only to see that this world can still offer me one thing, death. I'm not tricked anymore by those words saying everything's going to come out just right. That is true, by the way. Everything is going to come out just right, but not in the way that they're saying Everything's going to come out just right because of what God did in Jesus when he raised him from the dead. And it's a picture of the life that he has given to us. And it's ours. It's ours as a free gift. The world can only offer me death in many different forms. And it's not the world's fault. It's under the same sin and death that came upon mankind. So where is the real problem? 
The real problem is that we have been tricked into putting our trust in the world for life. I say tricked, but more correctly, I should say we've been trapped because we have been kidnapped into a belief system that did not come from God and we're not able to save ourselves from it. Our freedom comes from God and the work that he does in our hearts. If we try to fix it, we're just right back in the carnal realm again, thinking that we can bring ourselves life. God is our source of freedom and life, and he desires, it's the passion in his heart to set us free from the things that bring us harm. Just think if you had a child or someone that was precious to you and you see them caught in a trap, like a bear trap, your heart's desire is going to be to set them free. Think how much more God feels like that about us. The one that gave his own life to set us free, how he wants us to be set free. Speaking about the Bible, letting us know how strong this world is. As scripture says, Psalm 103 says, as for man, his days are as grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourishes. For the wind, uh, let's see, what's her name, Ida? <laughs> passes over it and it's gone and the place thereof shall know it no more. God told us in his world, in his word, the state of this world that we're living in. He told us it was temporary. He wanted us to know. He didn't hide it from us. And as beautiful as a flower is that he created, it is temporary. It does not possess immortality in this fallen world. Neither does man, God's greatest creation. But God does not want us tricked, hoodwinked, or trapped by the dazzle of the world. He told us it was passing away. He told us it was full of death. And he told us not to put our trust in it. So good of him. It was hard for me, yes, even painful to watch the corruption that's in this world come into the light. First, the government of a land that I loved probably way too much. It no longer was something I could trust in. It never was. I was tricked <laughs> and hoodwinked. Then I saw the fragileness of the world that has been turned upside down by a virus, a virus. I watched people who I thought were trustable prove that they weren't trustworthy. I watched people that appeared to be strong to be weak. I saw death where I always thought I had seen life. I watched what looked like a very strong system of life be shattered in front of my eyes. I cried. Yes, I did. It is hard to watch something you trusted in for decades crumble before your eyes. But was it really a bad thing that was happening? No. What is happening is what happened in Ecclesiastes. 
I'm seeing the things of this world as vanity. I am seeing that they cannot give me life. No matter how good it is, I don't care. A promotion, a new this, a new that. It can't give me life. It can't give me the peace and the love and the joy that I want to have always and that you want to have always. It can't give us those things. So what has been happening is my carnal blinders are being removed. Oh, that's such a good thing. That's like that scripture that talks about the discipline of the Lord. At first, it seems like it's painful, but then, oh my gosh, you are so happy. And you're thanking God, thank you for opening my eyes. Thank you that I can see what's really in this earth. And thank you for showing me where I can get the life that I truly want. The only place that I can get the, the life I truly want. So my eyes have been opened so I can see what it truly is. And it's not crawfish. <laughs> it is not crawfish. I saw a world that's filled with sin and death and that it couldn't possibly give me life. Glory to God. When we see that, our hearts get filled and the immortality that comes from God begins to be unveiled more and more in our hearts so that we can rest in that and not need to go seeking and running after the things that really don't satisfy. I've really begun to realize that I've been watching the earth on full display, clothed in sin and death, just like Jesus was clothed in sin and death and put on display in his mortal body on the cross. Like God just doesn't stop showing us this causes death. This gives you life. And he's always drawing a sharp line between the two so we can be set free from what's hurting us. Do you want to see the life this fallen world can give you? I already showed you the picture of the maggots. But Paul had a way of describing it too. Paul said that the things that he thought gave him life were dung. Do you all know what that word means? You know, that's a really strong word. That's stronger than maggots. <laughs> so here is a nice basket, a beautiful blue basket of elephant dung. Do you see it's been gathered up like it was a treasure, right? We want to get a full basket of it. We don't want just a little bit. We want a lot of it. But we didn't know what we were gathering was poop. <laughs> why couldn't we smell it? I mean, really, why weren't our eyes open? It's because we'd been kidnapped and believing that this was the way we would get life. And so we dug into that basket, y'all. We got our hands all full and we said, we're so happy. Ah, oh, thank you, God, for setting us free. 
and opening our eyes so we can see things in the spiritual realm. We see immortality was unveiled in the Bible repeatedly. Over the course of time, it became revealed more openly, more obvious, so that we couldn't miss it. But listen to this, Genesis 3.15. God says to the serpent, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. It shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Here we get a glimpse of mortality versus immortality. God's seed and woman, Jesus, would bruise and break the seed of the serpent's hold on man. There was going to be a battle between mortality and immortality, and immortality would win. Spoken in Genesis 3, God wouldn't accept that he had lost his man. His original plan to share his life of immortality still stood, and it still filled his heart, and he would do everything in his ability to preserve that life and share it with his kids. Immortality is unveiled in the Bible over and over again. It's the story of God's life given to us, better than a fairy tale. It is beyond what man's intellect can think or imagine. It breaks the barrier of a three-dimensional world. It breaks the barrier of mortality. It totally defeats death in all of its forms. There is a scripture in 2 Timothy that Greg actually posted, and I thought, wow. <laughs> it's 2 Timothy chapter 1, and it says, God has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, <laughs> but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. God continuing to unveil his immortality as a gift to us through the gospel. Every time the gospel is spoken about, whether it's a type and a shadow in the Old Testament or full-blown in the light in the New Testament. It is God revealing his immortality to us, unveiling it so we can see it and grab a hold of it and let it grab us. We're going to look at a few more scriptures that unveil immortality and maybe we haven't looked at it quite this way I know I haven't but as God is opening my eyes more and more I'm seeing it everywhere in Daniel 3 Daniel's friends get thrown into the fire for not worshiping the statue the fire was so hot that the men that threw them in got consumed that's a hot fire the three men that were thrown into the fire when Nebuchadnezzar looked into the fiery pit, 
he saw them, they weren't consumed. They were walking around in there. And then he said he saw four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire. They had no hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Mm, wow. Picture of immortality. The Son of God in his immortality put on display for Nebuchadnezzar to see. The Son of God in an immortal body that cannot be touched by fire and giving that same life to mortal men. Scripture says that they didn't even have the smell of smoke on them. Guess what? That's a type and a shadow too. We're not going to even remember death when we're living in immortality. It won't have anything in us. No power. Immortality will swallow up all death, even the remembrance of it. And Daniel and his friends ended up set over the whole kingdom, ruling and reigning with the king. Isn't that a picture of us ruling and reigning with Jesus for all eternity? With man co-living in the Godhead. God's plan of immortality wasn't just that we would live forever in glorified bodies. That's awesome. Oh, that's awesome. But it includes living as a co-equal with him in the Godhead in the fullness of his life, living in a glorified earth forever. Could man have ever imagined anything that good? No way. John 3.16 for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's a scripture that we can say in our sleep. We see mortality and immortality in this scripture placed side by side. We see God's love offering us his everlasting life, a life that will never end. We see immortality put on display for us, and he tells us how to receive it. Does it say work hard and do everything right? No. It says believe. Believe in what God has done for us. We get to choose the kind of life that we want. Do we want immortality or do we want mortality? If we believe in God for eternal life, the scripture says we'll have immortality. If we don't believe in God for eternal life, the scripture says we will have mortality and perish. Maggots. <laughs> Some of the unveiling of immortality in the Gospels is a little more subtle, but it's just as precious. I had an experience in the last month. There was a scripture that I read. It always tormented me horribly. It's in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. This is how it goes. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ. Now, 
the carnal way of reading that, which is the way I read it for years, the mortal way of seeing it is you need to rejoice always. Don't ever stop praying. Give thanks in all circumstances because that is what God expects of you. Oh, really heavy. <laughs> Awful, in fact. Maggots, in fact. <laughs> the carnal mind sees an order, an expectation that we can't possibly fulfill. It's the open door for guilt, shame, and condemnation. That scripture used to make me shudder. And when I put that one with a few others, I lived in fear of losing my salvation. Scriptures misinterpreted carnally actually unveil mortality when they are in reality unveiling immortality. I'm going to say that again. That's a mouthful. If it wasn't so long, I'd ask for a sign. <laughs> Scriptures misinterpreted carnally actually unveil mortality, making it look like it's something we have to do when they are in reality unveiling immortality, unveiling God's immortal life and what he's going to do for us and in us. So what I did with that scripture was I said, I have to rejoice always, even though I don't feel like it. I have to pray all the time. I have to give thanks in every circumstance because that's what God expects of me. It's all about me, me, me. It's all about man, man, man. It's all about mortality. The burden is heavy and it's impossible. It's the carnal mindset, which is really death and mortality. So recently, in the last month, I was at a friend's house, and she had that scripture on her wall. And I was in the bathroom seated, and the scripture was right there, <laughs> and I couldn't get away from it. <laughs> and I started to feel that, oh, shudder of fear come across me and try to press in on me. But this time, I didn't give in to it. I said, God, please show me what that scripture means. Show me what you're saying to me, because that doesn't look like good news to me. And, you know, sometimes we have to wait for our questions to be answered because God needs to unravel so many things in our hearts before we could even listen to him. But this time I heard immediately, this is what God told me. I will bless you so much with my life that you won't be able to stop rejoicing. I will have a continual, nonstop, intimate relationship because, or I will have a continual, nonstop, intimate relationship with God because He will fan His flame of love in me. I will put so much joy in you that you will give thanks in all circumstances because that's what I love to do for you and in you. Wow, amazing. It totally took everything and put it upside down for me. I found that mortality got veiled and immortality got unveiled. 
a work of God, we cannot do it. And then my husband and I have been reading a lot in this book. And this is Psalm 26. And this is Jesus talking to the Father. Uh, the book is Revealing Abba in the Psalms by John Fazio. And it is a book that describes what is going on in the heart of Jesus with his Father while he's on the cross. It is a picture of immortality living in the mortal body of Jesus and what it ultimately produces in the resurrection. So I want you to keep in mind that scripture that I said in 1 Thessalonians that was so hard to do. This is what Jesus says to God. I have abhorred the corrupted wisdom of those laboring and toiling to preserve their life. And I am set against the hardships they lay upon men too hard to bear. It wasn't just me that came up with that carnal idea about that scripture. That scripture was taught to me carnally. I learned that in kind of like Christianity 101 classes. This is what God expects of you. Jesus on the cross said he abhorred that way. He came to destroy that way. That's why he was on the cross, to set us free from that belief system that was killing us. So when we read scriptures like 1 Thessalonians 5, and we read it carnally, it causes us to labor without benefit. It comes from the wisdom of the blind. It's a corrupted wisdom, and we can't bear it. Jesus knows that, and he comes to set us free from it. But we can step right out of that mortality and into immortality. We can look away from our own works and look to the resurrection, to what God has done. The power of immortality can live in our hearts in the midst of this dying world. We don't have to wait until we leave this earth or Jesus returns to experience God's life. We can live going from glory to glory. I never really understood what that meant. Well, I know what I used to think. <laughs> yes, it was going from getting one new car to another new car. <laughs> yep, that's what it was. <laughs> one glory to another, wow. <laughs> from eating one bowl of maggots to another. <laughs> but that scripture from glory to glory, it's living from one revelation of the resurrection and its power in us to another revelation of the resurrection and its power in us. It's unlimited. Have you considered the resurrection? Have you ever put a limit on its power? I have, not knowingly. Is it even possible that the resurrection has any limits? I think not. Philippians 3.10, Paul said, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death, 
if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Look at Paul's heart. He wants to know Jesus and the power of the resurrection. He was looking at Jesus and the power of the resurrection life. That's how come he saw the things in this world as dung, because his eyes had been opened to immortality, and he realized that that was the life that he really wanted. He wasn't looking at the things of this world for life. He wasn't looking to the government for a good life. His heart was braided together with Jesus. He knew he had been crucified with Christ and he knew he was raised in immortality and would see it fully manifest in days to come. I have one more picture because it's not just that I spend a lot of time in children's church. I believe adults uh, are able to hold on to truths a lot easier too if they have a picture. So, have you ever experienced a baby that managed to get into their soil diaper and they begin playing in their poop? They smear it all over themselves in their beds and they thoroughly enjoy it. When the horrified parent starts to clean them up, the baby throws a fit. They wanted to stay in their poop. They thought it was fun. We can be a lot like that until we see the poop for what it is. When we see the very thing we've been actually longing for is really poop, we recoil in disgust. Trying to get life from this world is like serving up a big bowl of dung or playing in a poopy diaper. Anybody want to hold it? Anybody want to keep it for life? Anybody think it can give them life? Of course not. Because... <laughs> There's nothing we can do to make this have immortality. Nothing. I don't care what we do with it. Like my husband said, we could try to plant a flower garden in it. It still is poop. God has great joy, and his desire is to repeatedly unveil his immortality to us, his resurrection. It is the power that will melt away the lust we still have in our hearts for the world. It will unveil immortality to us. It will also unveil the death that lusting after life in this world causes. So did you see that? There's four or five problems there. And the resurrection takes care of each one of them. It has the power to give us what we need. 1 Corinthians 15 says, For this corruptible must put on incorruption. And this mortal must put on immortality. Powerful scripture. It's also a godly progression that we see God doing in our lives until Jesus does return. And then we will see the full manifestation of it. 
So when this corruptible shall have put off incorruption, in this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Death has been swallowed up. It's already happened. It happened in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It didn't happen because Jesus had the power and raised himself from the dead. No, he rested in the life of his father to raise him. He came and he showed us what our part is. So let God teach us how to trust him for everything we need. And that as he shows us that, we will begin to know without a shadow of a doubt that nothing in this world will satisfy what we want. And everything we want, we've already got in him. We can look in this world and say, well, I see a lot of death going on. But even today in this fallen world, death is being swallowed up. Corruption is being swallowed up by incorruption. Mortality with immortality. How is it happening? Every time we see a scripture that we thought put a burden on us, and our eyes are open and we see it's what God's going to do for us, that is immortality swallowing up mortality. It's incorruption, swallowing up corruption. It's what God does in our hearts continually. And what happens when mortality and immortality collide? Praise God, immortality wins every time. Immortality swallows up mortality, just like it did with that scripture in Thessalonians. Death is replaced with life. It can happen in 30 seconds. When after Katrina, Larry and I took a trip to um, Hattiesburg, just in our frustration, because we saw so many um, corrupt people in our area that came to help us put our house together, or so they said, and we kept experiencing death. And we just felt like we couldn't take it anymore. We didn't have any answers. There was nothing we could do. So we took a trip to Hattiesburg just to get away from it all and hear what God had to say. We got in the car concerned about one thing, our house. How were we going to get our house back together when we couldn't find honest people to work on it? It wasn't very long. God has a way of bringing immortality to us really quick. He said, what is one man's soul worth to you? A house? We were concerned about the mortal house. God was concerned about the man's house. The man that was caught in mortality and he was trying to move him to immortality. But we couldn't see that because all we could see was our house. But God in 30 seconds with one question moved us out of mortality and moved us into immortality and you know it wasn't just words we didn't care about our house anymore how does god do that that's called resurrection life <laughs> and it has the power to do everything that god knows we need 
God knew there were people working on our house that were going to commit suicide that week. And we got to share Jesus with them. If we had only cared about our house, we'd have never cared about that man because our eyes were so focused on our house that we weren't able to see the things that were going on around us. Thank God the man gave his life to Jesus. But we got set free too because we didn't worry about our house anymore. And you know what? God took care of it. He always does. I want to end with this scripture on immortality and how it's unveiled. Colossians chapter 3, verse 2 to 3. Set your mind on things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Where is your life hidden? Glory, our life is hidden in his life. What kind of life is his life? Immortality, baby. It doesn't get any better than that. There's nothing higher. No length, no depth, no breath, nothing higher than God's immortal life. His life is your life. Your life is immortality. Immortality is being unveiled right before our eyes by the resurrection, by the gospel, by the Holy Spirit living in us, showing it left and right. Can God get any clearer? When we set our minds on the kernel, the things of this earth, we don't see immortality. We will see death, maggots, and poop. So let's not be surprised when that's what we see, right? If we don't think it's supposed to give us life, we won't get so upset because we won't be disappointed. We'll find immortality when we set our minds where God wants to set them. Again, it's not our work. It's God. He will set our minds on the things above and the resurrection. So my question to you is, have you considered Jesus and his resurrection? Many things are going to press in on us in this world to consider. They exist in the realm of sin and death. But God has given us his life, and he's put it on display in the body of Jesus. So we can consider that, and we can remember that. And that body, that resurrected immortal body, has the power to dim out all the things in this earth that we think we need for life and to show us what they really are. God has put on display a glorified human body raised from the dead to consider. A body that looked like mortality had won. A body that was dead in the grave for three days. A body that was clothed with all the sin and death in the world. And when mortality and immortality collided, immortality won. Behold immortality unveiled in the resurrected body of Jesus, the firstborn from among the dead, crucified, buried, and raised into immortality for you. 
so you will have the same life. For his life is your life. His immortality is your immortality. Glory to God. Amen. Father, we just thank you so much for the life that you've given to us. We thank you that you're opening our eyes so we can see more and more. That the lust for the things in this world do not bring us the life that we're looking for. In fact, it brings us disappointment and a smelly diaper. We thank you that the things that you have for us last forever. It fills us with your love and peace and joy in a relationship with you that is beyond anything we can imagine. Thank you that that's what you're doing in us. Amen. Amen. Thank you, God. <laughs>